Welcome to It's a Matter of Your Health, the 30-Minute Health Magazine. I'm Dr. Vita Bland, a board-certified family medicine doctor and hypertension specialist. September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, a time to raise awareness of the stigmatized and often taboo subject. Our guest today is a suicide survivor, veteran, and suicide prevention advocate, Mr. Kurt Davis. Kurt struggled with depression during his eight-year military career, leading him to attempt suicide three times. After leaving the Navy, he was diagnosed with PTSD. Not allowing this to stop him, he sought many different forms of therapy before deciding that the best way he could help himself was helping those that were just like him. Today, he works with the United States Air Force, helping people who were just like him dealing with depression, substance abuse, and thoughts of suicide. Mr. Kurt Davis, welcome to It's a Matter of Your Health. I am happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I am totally inspired by your work with members of the Air Force and the Armed Forces regarding suicide. And you have been open with your struggles about that while you were in the military. Could you tell me more about your struggles? Well, you know, I uh, joined the military right before September 11th. And really? uh, I was uh, in the Navy and my ship was actually one of the first to respond. Um, oh. And of course, with that came other things, uh, deployments and everything else that had to come with it. But it was something that I wasn't prepared for and something that mentally I was not ready for. So uh, I had a hard time struggling with how to deal with all these different emotions and feelings and depression and anxiety that came with PTSD. And what a lot of people don't remember is that we are just coming out of the era when it was called shell shock. You know, we're just starting to really jump into the PTSD thing. So it wasn't something that we were debriefed on, wasn't something that we were told, hey, this is where you go to get help. So I struggled and it, it led me to attempt suicide um, three times. The first two by pills. The last time was putting the gun to my head and actually pulling the trigger. It just didn't fire. Thank God. But um that led me on to having a conversation with one of my friends at the time. And taught me how being vulnerable, me being vulnerable about my story, what I was dealing with, encouraged him to be vulnerable. And we were able to actually go out and get help together. Um, but it was mm -hmm. just the vulnerability that actually gave the breakthrough. So that's my main thing is that vulnerability encourages vulnerability. So, yes, ma'am. And, you know, I guess that is difficult because guys in particular, mm -hmm. I think, don't like to be vulnerable. We're not taught how. It's, it's not something that is passed down to us. Um the man is supposed to be strong. The man is supposed to lead. And vulnerability is often associated with weakness, not associated with strength. And in fact, if you look into the word, it has ability in the word. So it, to me, it's a superpower. To be vulnerable actually encourages people to go out there, talk about what you've been through, and then the other person feels comfortable now because they feel that you have bridged this gap. I'm comfortable because you shared. Now I'm going to share. And so it's something that men do struggle with. Um, again, it's not something that has been passed down. It's not something that we talk about often, but it's something that can still change. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yes, and I hope that that is something that 
our guys today are teaching our young men also. It's not something that I I'm see hoping. often, to be honest with you, because it's still such a taboo issue. Everything that comes with being vulnerable is associated with a feminine trait being in touch with your emotions, um, speaking on your emotions and talking about your emotions. Um, you know, we came from an era, I know I did, where if you were to cry or express your emotions, you know, your father would be like, ah, don't do that. That's what girls do, you know, and that's passed down. That's not something that people say, hey, you know what, we actually have to talk about this. The way to change this is for men to actually say, you know what, I have been through depression. I have been through anxiety. I've had alcoholism. I've had these problems. You don't have to tell this to everybody. Talk to your kids about it. Talk to your siblings about it. Be vulnerable with your local nucleus. And that will show them like, hey, he did it. I can do it. So, yes, ma'am. But, you know, that's probably why people don't talk much about mental illness like depression, bipolar, and suicide, mm-hmm. you know, because they don't want mm-hmm. that, you know, so that's probably why they don't talk. There's about a stigma that comes with it, um, especially when you get, especially when it comes to the military. But when you step outside of that and you think about it, when you say I have a problem, I am depressed for, especially in the black community, the only response that you will more than likely get coming up is go pray, go to church. There is not a resource that says, oh, let me escort you over here so that somebody can further look into that. If you have depression or anxiety, somebody looks at you and says, there's something wrong with this person. Instead of now, because it's a public health issue, if you say, I have hypertension, do you think somebody say, oh, no, let's not deal with this person. They are, you know, blood pressure. It's the same thing. Your head is still a part of your total body. It's a public health issue. And so if we were to look at it like that and say, I need to deal with my mental health the same way I deal with my physical health, then we can actually have a different approach and and get rid of a lot of the stigmas that come with it. So very true. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that is a reason why or do you feel that alcohol and drug abuse increase the risk for suicide? Oh, most definitely. Um, In fact, alcohol, drug abuse, Um, and things like that are normally um, a cry for help. So if you see an increase in alcohol, if you see an increase in drugs, or if you see somebody change when they were normally somebody who was pretty responsible, come to work and do what they're supposed to do, but now you see they're drinking more, it is a call to help that if you're not paying attention to can be easily missed. It's normally that precursor to a suicidal ideation. Um, They're trying to numb something. They're trying to get over something. They are trying to deal with something, and that's the best way. Um, We are normally more vulnerable when we are our most desperate. So we're not going to come and ask for help until I've exhausted everything else that I can do on my own. I can drink on my own. I can take drugs on my own. I can do all that on my own. But when that doesn't help the problem, that's when I will say, hey, I might have a problem. Mm. I need help because I can do it. I need to reach out. So drugs and alcohol are normally, if you pay attention, they are normally the cries for help. And if you see that change, it's best to jump in and try to help men instead of allowing that to get out of hand. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody's on social media mm-hmm. now. What do you think social media, how does it play a part in all of this? Well, it's really funny you say that because I was just talking about this recently. 
take a young man or a young woman, or even take somebody who's my age, 40, 50 years old. And still yeah, I'm, I'm in there somewhere. I'm trying. Um, if you go on social media and 24 seven, you are looking at somebody whose body is better than yours. You're looking at somebody whose situation is better than yours. Somebody who has a better car, somebody who has a better occupation. So anyway, there is really very little on social media that doesn't make you feel less than. So if you are already in a depressed state, if you are already in a state where you feel worthless, if you're feeling depressed or whatever like that, then when you go on social media, you're just going to compare, unconsciously compare yourself to all these other people who are seemingly more happy than you. And now you're saying, I'm supposed to be that happy. Why am I not? Oh, it must be me. It must be me. Social media does a lot for helping you stay in a, in a, a mind frame of I'm not enough. And if you really look in the history, I'm not going to go deep into that. Once we were able to carry our phones 24-7 and have access to the stuff 24-7, look at how our everything started going downhill. Everything really started going. Our relationships start to break up because of social media. Um, financial issues start to break up because of social media. Dating has taken a totally different road. People aren't really as committed as they are into relationships. Um we're having mass shootings. We're having all these different things are happening. And it's because I can see this 24 seven. And if I want to get attention, I know I need to see him do it on social media. I was just speaking with somebody about the new trend now where you look on Facebook live and Instagram live, people are taking their own lives on social media. Mm. They're doing it to get likes, even though they're going to be dead before they can see how many likes they got. Right. Really, they're not going to know it. <laughs> but it's just the fact that this is how I'm getting the attention that I need. I just want somebody to listen to me. And since you didn't, here's my last cry for help. But I want you all to see what you pushed me to. And then now you have somebody else that watches that. And it's like, oh, that's how I get attention. And the cycle continues. So mm-hmm. it's it's really unfortunate with the, uh, the way that we're going. It really is. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. So how do you think the pandemic has affected this? You know, people not, you know, we're getting out a little bit more now than we used to. But there are, you know, a couple of years there when everybody was kind of like in. Um, I get asked this a lot and especially working with analytics and having to have the data that supports this and everything. What I want to always tell people is COVID didn't make suicide worse. What COVID did was it it kind of, it made everything that you were previously dealing with, it made all the hidden monsters that you had, it exposed them. So if you have awful communication issues, or if um, you really don't know how to be in a relationship, or you don't know how to work through problems, you don't know how to communicate, whatever. Now put you in the house with somebody 24-7, And those communication issues come up, which led to more domestic violence, which led to more sexual assault, because these weren't skills that we had to begin with. Yes, we're able to go out in town and go to Starbucks and we're able to go to the gym and do all these other things. But what COVID did was it forced you to actually deal with a lot of the issues that you have never dealt with, because all you do is stuck at home. And so what we saw and what I have seen is a lot more 
sexual assault cases. I've seen more child abuse cases. I've seen more because people really do not know how to deal with their anger, their depression, their anxiety, and they had no outlet to deal with it. So everything kind of just went to the, you know, went crazy because people had no outlet. They had no way to decompress. Normally going to work gets you away from your spouse, but I'm stuck with you 24 seven. So somebody about to get hurt. And that's pretty much kind of sort of what happened. So unfortunately, COVID did play a role for a lot of people who are introvert, extrovert. It just stops you from doing um, your normal. But what it also did was exposed where you actually need help um, because there was really no way to get it. And the ways that you normally dealt with your problems were taken away from you. So um, to me, that's what it exposed more. Uh, is what you really need to work on. Well, let me reintroduce my guest today. I'm so very, very pleased to have Mr. Kurt Davis. He's an advocate and he advocates for people in the military. Uh, And this is September, which is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. So we want to raise awareness about this. And he does this through the work that he does with United States Air Force. He's helping people to deal with depression, substance abuse, and thoughts of suicide. So when we think about people who commit suicide, do we see it in families? Is this inherited or what's going on? And it's funny because a lot of times we'll never know because the family members were never vulnerable enough to say that they had depression. So normally, or as we're seeing more, if we have an 18 to 25 year old that attempted suicide, um, is at that point that we'll realize this person has a history of depression. This person has a history of this. But when it comes to their father or the generations prior to them or the generations prior to them, we have no idea because they didn't come forth and say, hey, I'm depressed. I have this. It's not documented. So it's really kind of hard to say if it's inherited, which there's a grand case that it could be. But that doesn't mean that we have the information to follow. Um, We come from a resiliency for us was keeping to yourself, keep all your stuff private. You don't share with outside people. And then if you really think about it, go back to the 60s and the 50s and the 40s, civil rights movement and all that. Who was there for us to talk to? Who? What counselor was available for any people of color saying, hey, I'm having depression? Depression wasn't a word. We weren't allowed to have depression. You go to church, you go home, you deal. And we were in survival mode. We are no longer in survival mode, but survival mode is what's been passed down. So all we know is to survive. You're not really going to have a documented history unless somebody really went to the doctor and it was documented, which is not common for us because we didn't have access to adequate health care for the majority of the time. And mental health is just now within the last 20 years really getting the focus that it really needs. So before that, there's there's no telling. Do we see more suicides in people who are more impulsive? (laughs) Men are more impulsive than women. And I'm pretty sure anybody who's been in a relationship understands that. Uh, (laughs) um, Women are more likely to be the self-harm cutting. Um, Men is really, we see things in black and white. My girlfriend broke up with me. This is it. My life is over. Go jump. That's and it really can be that simple. Women feel the emotion, 
and they understand for a better part that, you know what, I don't want to kill myself. However, I want this pain to be gone and they can actually differentiate um, between the impulsiveness and the spontaneity of suicide and just actually feeling the emotion. We have not been taught as men to actually feel our emotion. Something has to be done. We are fixers. I messed up. I fix it by doing this. I am a fixer. I have to, it's, it's the manly thing to do. I can't sit here and cry. I can't sit here and be depressed. That's not allowed. I have to fix. And that's either A or B. There is no in between. And so that's why it's a little bit more the, the impulsiveness comes more from men than it does from women. What age groups do you see, you know, okay, so we know that men complete suicide more than men mm-hmm. than women, mm-hmm. right? So, but what age groups do you see completing this? I mean, are, are we, and, we're, and I know this is changing because I know we're seeing more suicide and people older and mm-hmm. things like that. But what do you see? Um, what do you see? What are the analytics that you guys get? Mainly, um, and again, let me preview this by saying that all of these thoughts and opinions are that of my own and not of the uh, you know, uh, the government. So this is me speaking on my own behalf. I don't want people to say, oh, he said. Um, the majority of things that I see are between 18 and 32. Mm-hmm. Um Older ones, and and then you have to really break down the why. The younger ones, the resiliency and the the fortitude that we might afford or we might have is not as present as it was in former generations. Um, You know, we grew up in the church. We grew up knowing that that suicide was not on the table. It wasn't an option. Today, it is very much so on the table. It is a, an option that is placed in our face every day. And this age group is more likely to be very active on social media, more active um, when it comes to seeing these things. Now, when you get older, that has to deal more with financial issues, medical issues, or uh, um, you see more people that are older dealing with if they get a terminal case of um, cancer or something like that, they will suicide is an option. If they mess up the finances in the house, um, sometimes that's an option. If they mess up at work and they get into any type of disciplinary issue, that's another type of option when they don't want that to come out. But the younger generation is so in tune to, you know, what they see online and then not able to deal with a lot of things that, we didn't have to deal with. I had a pager growing up and I thought I was the you know top thing, you know, so I couldn't see everything 24-7, but now I am. I am constantly, even I have to check myself and make sure that I get off of social media because I will look at somebody on here who's got a six pack and has, and I'm like, man, something's wrong with me. And I have to stop myself saying, you know, I'm perfect as is. I don't have to look like this person, but I have to really catch myself. What about those people who can't do that? They look at this and they're like, oh, I need to have a six pack in order to get a woman. or I have to have all this money. They go out of their way to do all this thing. The woman leaves them and now they're like, they're left with nothing. What else is there for me to do? So I'm seeing it between 18 and 32 mostly, normally on the lower side of that. Um, but every now and again, um, you do see the, the older ones pop in there. And, uh, and to be honest with you, they take me by surprise. 
So um, the younger ones is kind of, unfortunately, I'm like, we are prepared for that. The older ones, it, it catches me. It catches me by surprise still to this day. So you think that, you know, when they attempt suicide, mm-hmm. that they've, have they tried to do anything? Have they, you know, or are you, what I hear you say is that something is messed up. They've got to do this or do that. And they choose suicide. It's easier to kill yourself and then to fix a problem. Well, the majority of people actually do reach out for help, but it's just, it goes unseen. Um, everybody has a call for help. And mm-hmm. so hypothetically, you're at work with this person, you're around this person every single day. And all of a sudden, you know, they're not dressing the same or they're acting a tad bit different. Their work quality diminishes. Um, they are talking more about death. They are talking more about different things. You just notice that there's a change in the demeanor. Now, here is where the overall issue lies. Our collective care is gone. We pay attention more to ourselves than we do to the person to our left or to our right. I mean, if you think about it, how often do you walk around the office and say, hey, how are you doing? But you don't stay to actually see the response. We have gotten so just disconnected from our fellow people that cries for help can be going out everywhere. We're just I'm going to stick to myself. That ain't my business. You know, I'm not going to worry about this. And this person right beside you is suffering. You know, and so cries for help can go out all the time and probably are. And we're missing them. We're not really keen to take the time to talk to this person and understand. Also, we don't have the resources to support. If telling somebody to go pray, go talk to your pastor and your deacon, if that's the extent of your resources, then you are not doing a great service for humanity at all. Um, everybody's not a believer the way that you are. You have to be able to say, you know what, if that's not your thing, let's go over here and talk to this counselor. Or let's go over here. If that is the list, the extent of your resources, you can only help a select few people. And all these other people need help. So you have to be able to branch out and say, you know what, I know this counselor. I know this doctor. Let me just take you to the hospital. But, you know, even when I was suicidal, because I grew up in a Christian-based house, I prayed. It did not fix it immediately. I wanted immediate relief. I prayed. I was already feeling worthless. I was already feeling like nobody cared or loved me. And when I prayed and nobody answered my prayer, now I feel like I either upset God or God abandoned me because I prayed and I must have done it wrong. So, no, that's even more of a reason for me to take my own life. I have, if you don't ticked off God, then you can't really get much worse than that. You know what I'm saying? You got to go. So, Once I got to that point, I really realized there has got to be more to help people. And it's simply telling your story. You know, we've all been through some type of turmoil. Tell your story. Prevention is not giving somebody an umbrella after it's raining. Prevention is providing the umbrella while it's sunny for the rains that are to come. So once you give them that umbrella, when the rains get there, I'm not bogged down by all this weight of the water and depression. We have looked at it wrong. We've dealt with it wrong. And it's time for us to just get back to caring. It's the fundamentals. You care, you can prevent. We are all suicide prevention. It's not a month. It's us. So, Mm. yes, ma'am. So, do you think people are willing to get in there and get in somebody else's business and really help? See, and this is where we also have to look at it differently. 
me helping is not getting into your business. Me helping is saying, hey, this is what I've been through. I'm here to listen to what you've been through, but I know I'm not qualified to fix it. Let me take you to somebody who is. I don't need to get in your business. I'm not here to fix it. I'm here to listen and escort. Escort. That's okay. what I'm here to uh, do. And a lot of us feel like, well, you know what? If you just didn't do this, then you wouldn't have that problem. And if you didn't go talk to them, so now we're trying to fix it. I didn't come to you for that. I'm struggling. Help me. Okay? I can't. But I know people who can. So here, let me get you to them. If you do that, <laughs> perfectly fine. You start to try to fix it, now you both kind of jacked up and you both need help. So it's just, you can't fix everything. Okay, well, we have been really honored to have uh, as our guest today, Mr. Kurt Davis. And um, believe it or not, we're kind of at the end of our mm. time. You've given us so many ideas and I really appreciate it. But I want to give you some time to give us some words of wisdom, some pearls to remember. You know, what is it that you want us to take away from here? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. 22 veterans, 22, die each day from suicide. Christians die each day from suicide. The way that we have approached it, the way that we deal with it needs to be looked at. And that comes from us. Caring, listening and being vulnerable will do more for a suicide prevention and do more for domestic violence, do more for child abuse than anything else. We just have to care. And I cannot force that. It's something you have to want to do. So I'm encouraging everybody to be as vulnerable as possible. Parents, if you've never told your kids about the things that you've been through, tell them. And husbands and wives, don't expect your your spouse to know that you are there to talk to. You tell them, I don't want to lose you. I love you. Please, I don't want to lose you to suicide. Let me help you. I call it proactive pillow talk. Talk to them. All right. Because we're losing too many, and uh, I don't want to lose any more. So those are my words right there. Well, I really want to thank suicide survivor veteran and suicide prevention advocate extraordinaire, <laughs> Mr. Kurt Davis, for being our guest today. Thank you so much. We really have enjoyed having you here, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to get some valuable information, and you probably saved a few I lives. hope so. That's our show for today. It's a matter of your health. It's produced by To The Point Media with production help from George Majette. Breland Holston is our intern. Like It's a Matter of Your Health on Facebook. Find past episodes and my weekly blog on our website at www.drblandradio.com. Subscribe to It's a Matter of Your Health podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dr. Vita Bland board certified family medicine doctor and hypertension specialist and until next time remember that it is a matter of your health goodbye